<laughs> Good morning. Like to know one of you is awake. That's awesome. By the way, I'm pretty sure that Mary did know, right? That's so good. Worship was so good. Praise God. Merry Christmas. I, I got to I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't sure what to expect this morning. Because I think, and I don't know if this is a good thing to say or not, but I think this is the first time I've been in church on Christmas Day when it was a Sunday. Right? I mean, it, it, I don't know how long it's been since it was on Christmas Day, but I don't remember it ever being. Right? Although, I don't know, I'm sure it was certain, you know, I guess if it rotates every 360 days, maybe, you know, maybe it was. I, I don't know. But, uh, but I came this morning not sure what to expect. I thought, you know, we might just have a small group of people. And, and you know, maybe, maybe Lord, maybe you'll just want us to not be online and, and just kind of sit in a group and talk and share and whatever. And he didn't answer me. I thought, okay. <laughs> Okay, I come in here and and it's full, and I I just was blown away, was blown away by what God does, and and He is the reason for the season, but He's the reason for every day of life, not just today, every day. You know, before we get going, let me let me just pray. And then I'll share something that I find interesting. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, the gift of your son, who is celebrated today. And is to be celebrated every day. We thank you, Father, that you knew ahead of time what would happen when man was given a choice. But you had already prepared a plan in your will to bring hope, to bring redemption, to bring peace. And it was through the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, who as God made a choice to insert Himself into His own creation. To become the redemptive plan for mankind. It was through that perfect life. And through Him offering that perfect life by His own choice as a man. Never losing His Godhead but always acting as a man. He chose to give His life on the cross. And three days later, because death could not hold Him, He rose from the grave. He sits at the right hand of you now, Father, while you make His enemies His footstool. We find ourselves in the most amazing 
times in history outside of the life here on earth of your son. What an amazing time to live. What an amazing time to celebrate your son. Thank you, Father, that you intersect with your creation constantly. And you, you did that, you never did that more poignantly than when your son came to this earth and died and rose again. Thank you, Father. I give you my mouth, I give you my will, my hands, my feet. I give you everything that I am to speak whatever it is that you want to speak. We all came here this morning hungry for you. And you promised when we seek you, we'll find you. So we're seeking. We're desiring a word from you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we had our Christmas party, I promised you something, right? Those of you who remember, I, I, I gave a date as to when I believed Jesus was born, which is not December 25th, by the way. And I said, I said, well, you know, let's see, maybe, maybe Christmas morning I'll share that with you, and I am going to share that with you. However, I think there's something much bigger to really grab a hold of and to understand. Two things, really. One, the fact that God, the God of the heavens, the God of creation, the Creator Himself, intersects with us through communication. He talks to us, always has, always will. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says that he used to talk to us through the prophets. And he, in fact, let's look that up real quick. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, if I could stop shaking enough to pull it up. says, now, wait a second. I hit the wrong one. I hit 11-1. It's not 11-1. It's 1-1. It's going to say, wait a second. That's the faith verse. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, I have that highlighted in my Bible. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. And it goes into who Jesus Christ is. By the way, this is the very verse that the people whom I used to be a part of in a, in a train of thought, that God doesn't speak anymore, this is the verse they use. That... Well, yeah, but it was only what Jesus said in the Gospels that that's really what we're, you know, to take in. And, and what the prophets said, you know, he doesn't speak. There are no prophets today. He doesn't speak in that way. He doesn't speak even in personal 
you know, conversation, that's probably a different voice that you're hearing. You're all familiar with this. We've heard this a million times, right? But that's why I have in my Bible it highlighted in many ways. The Son of God speaks to us in many ways. Not just in his Gospels. In fact, John said himself, if everything would, were to have been recorded that he spoke to them, the earth could not contain the volumes of those books. And that's what he was speaking to them. Do you not think that he would speak to you in the same manner? If all his point was information, then it would be easy to believe that. That he just wants to get some information across to you so you could be obedient, so you could walk in a certain way, and, and everything else. But it's not that. His goal is not just your obedience. His goal is what he lost in the garden. His goal is relationship. His goal is intimacy. His goal is you walking with him hand in hand, conversing about anything. It's the relational value of God to creation, to his specific creation, to you. So God speaks in many, many ways. And he lays many things out. And the thing that's hit me the hardest is why in the world is it not clear to the world, certainly Christians, when Jesus' birth was? doesn't say, it would have been so easy to say in the book of John, Jesus was born, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they, they give dates of many other things. They could have, God could have done that. So it makes me question why. Why didn't he? Why didn't he say, December 25th was my birthday. Celebrate it. Do you know something in my research that I found? Even for December 25th, or any day throughout the year, the birth of Jesus was not publicly celebrated for almost 300 years after his birth. I don't know about you, but, I mean, that would kind of upset us a little bit. Oh, honey, you forgot my birthday. Right? We've probably all kind of done that. Well, yeah, they forgot my birthday, you know, whatever. For 300 years, people did not celebrate Jesus' birthday. Now, perhaps you could say it was because they didn't know when it was. I'm going to show you in a, in a few minutes how I don't believe that's even possible because I believe the Bible is very clear on the exact date. That's just my belief. But I'll lay it out for you. I don't think that's what it was at all. I think, I think at the beginning it was persecution. You know, we're going to have a big Jesus party. And then the Romans hear you and they come and raid your party. So persecution might have played a role in it. But I'll tell you where my heart is. 
my heart is not about idolizing a day. We, we do that in our men and women of history. You know, we build a statue and, you know, their birth is celebrated. We have President's Day, right? We have all these things. Jesus deserves so much more than that. And the truth is, his celebration is to be every day of your life. Every single day of your life. Your mind is to be on him. Your mind is to interact with him. And, and, and by the way, I, it's really easy to compartmentalize your Christianity, compartmentalize even the celebration of, of him, whether it be his birth or every day of his uh, every day of the year, it's easy to compartmentalize if you don't believe he will talk to you. If you don't believe that he will talk to you and you only think, well, he talks out of his word and that's it, then you don't understand relationship with him. You don't understand what it means to walk in that garden with him. You can't. Because if there's no expectation of hearing Him, then there's no expectation until you're in heaven. When He's crying out, I want to talk to you here. I want to talk to you through faith, because through faith is what's important to Him. So the celebration is to be every single day. I don't know, maybe, maybe Jesus as God, never wanted his birth to be celebrated. I don't know. Or maybe he wanted us to dig a little bit. Because in the digging, we learn about him. In the digging, we find that his word is so intricate and weaved together that, wow, this had to be done by a master plan. Go figure. (laughs) But I love that that's exactly how God works and how he leads us in things. Everything in his word, everything is weaved together. Even if we don't see right away how something might fit, if we pour into the digging in and the conversing with God over it, he will show it. And I think that's the example of of what we're going to give here in a little bit this morning. But I I don't want to get past the understanding that it's really not about celebrating his birth, but about celebrating every day of your life in relationship with him. It's, It's simply including him in every piece of your life. That's what he wants. That's where the real joy comes from. But to get into this thought, I, I got to tell you where I was. And, and by the way, let me give this disclaimer. I am giving what I believe. Okay? <laughs> okay. This is not for you to, you know, take to the bank and say, well, God says, well, no, take the information and you could go to God yourself and ask him about this. I I just find it intriguing because we see God, his hand written on all of these points and all of these pages. 
And, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that I can explain it properly because up here it's really clear. <laughs> we'll see if it translates to out here. I don't know. But I am just giving an opinion here. Do with it what, what you will. But the point is study. Where I used to be on this, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that most people, most Christians that, that know the Word of God or, or study it at all, most Christians know that his birth probably was not on December 25th. Okay? Um, in fact, if you look at the history of where that came from, um, it did not come around until the beginning of the 4th century when it was brought into a celebration to shadow out other celebrations that were pagan. Okay, it was uh, during Constantine's reign that it became a celebrated time frame. Now there, you know, I didn't live back then, so I could just give you my conjecture and what I read, what other people conjecture is that, you know, because Constantine made the national religion of Rome Christianity. Okay, most of you probably know that. He was the one that brought Christianity into the mainstream, if you will. That was the, uh, the, the real birth of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Now, his motivation might be a little different than what you guys might think. Because the motivation wasn't necessarily to bring the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It was literally to bring control. Okay, that's what each of the emperors was about, was about control. All the way from Nero, who destroyed the temple, all the way a couple hundred years later to Constantine, that finally was the one, he was the Roman emperor, who brought all of Rome back together. Rome was completely split up. And Constantine brought them all back together by issuing a national religion. Kind of, kind of weird that that would do it, right? Because they forced it. It was not about, hey, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ and he, he's really going to change your life if you just believe. It wasn't about that. It was, now this is the national rule. It was about control. And the reason why is because Rome was split up into so many factions because they had so many religions that literally fought against each other. Constantine said, nope. Nope, nope. We're going to make it one religion that I could control, and we're going to push forward with it. And that's exactly what he did. So that was the formation of December 25th. There were actually two dates. There's December 26th and, oddly enough, January 6th. And, yeah, isn't that weird? That kind of struck my mind when, when, I, when I studied that. And, and what, what I, I can't begin to tell you that I understand all this, but I, I know that the, the, the major one, and this came out of the 12th century, was, was, was December 25th, but then January 6th was kind of a minor one, but those were the two big ones. That's why you hear the phrase 12 days of Christmas, because there are 12 days between those two dates. So anyways... The control that came from this was really the goal in all of that. 
So where I was, I, I knew it wasn't December 25th. You know, when, when were you born, Jesus? And, and for probably a big chunk of my Christian life, I had figured it was somewhere in the spring. You know, because the shepherds, you know, they were out with their flocks at night. Right? They were outside. They weren't in the stalls, which is what they do in the wintertime when it's cold. So they were out somewhere. So it, it had to be really from April-ish to about October, depending on the, the swing of, of the heat of the season. So I used to always think, without, without any real evidence, I used to think, well, it, was, it, it would make sense to me that it was probably when Jesus was crucified was the same annual day that he was born. I mean, that made sense to me, and there's a lot of arguments to that, to that fact. One, and this is going to sound odd, the one thing that didn't match up with me was his, when, at 30 years old, when he took his ministry to a public place, right? When he got baptized from there, if, if you understand that... that uh, his, his birth would have been at the same time of the year as his death, then that would mean he died at exactly 33 years old. Okay? I know this sounds strange. Don't ask me why it was stuck in my mind, but it just always bugged me he, that I, I believe he really died at 33 and a half. Okay? Can't, can't explain why, except for the fact that I believed his, his earthly ministry was then given an example of in the book of Revelation, and you see it in other things as well, where things happened within a three-and-a-half-year period. 1,260-day period, as it says in Revelation. Or a 42-month period. It says it all three ways. So anyways, that, that just kind of bugged me. But then I started looking into, okay, well, really... Does anybody really know when Jesus was born? And, and this is where I was brought to. And it, it kind of was cool for me. First of all, if you, if you study the Word of God, you have to understand that every word in the, in the Word of God is important. Everything that it says is important. There are layers of what it reveals and the importance of what it reveals where you could read... And then a year later, read the same verse or passage, and oh my goodness, I see so much more depth. You could do that a thousand times and never find the bottom of that depth. That literally is what it means to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the more you know Him in relationship, the more things start to come together for you in His Word. It's almost like they were meant to fit together or something, <laughs> right? Of course they are. And the more you know him in intimacy, the more things start to fit together. So it started to bug me about this idea that why don't we know when Jesus' birth was? And, and I was, I'm not going to claim this information for myself. I was reading a book by Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, who is probably... Forgive me for all the others out there, I just may not know you, but he is probably the only intellectual that I have ever run across, that I have faith in, in him knowing the truth about the Word of God. 
And, and I know that's, that's a big statement. But if you, if you read some of his books, you'll understand. He, he really understands what the real reality is, if you will. And, and this, this uh, book that I was reading called Reverses, Reversing Herman, which talked about the, the fight between the two spirit realms, he got into the birth of Jesus there, and, and it really intrigued me. And what, what his stint from it was, was from was how God has spoken to his children since his children have been around, since Adam. Knowing full well what was going to happen, he had already planned for that, even in creation itself. And that is how he speaks to his children through the stars. Now, see, today we don't understand that. I mean, I... I've got to be honest with you. I don't understand that. You know, I, I know what a constellation is because I learned it in school. I, except for maybe the Big Dipper, I'm not sure I could walk out and point out anything. I mean, they just are stars. They're stars to me. I do know that, that if I'm sitting in the middle of New York City versus sitting up in the mountains of Colorado, it's very different how many stars you see. Right? So it would have been different back then and all throughout history of how they saw the stars. And, and if you look at history and you look throughout the Word of God and, and, and especially in the book of Genesis and how literally Adam was taught how to teach redemption through the stars. The origin of it is called the Metzareth. That's, that's what we would call the Zodiac. Right? It's 12 months, 12 constellations, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. But the point is, that's how they thought back then. During Jesus' time, or thereabouts, that's how they thought. They understood the sign. We all, we all know out of Luke 2, the, the story of Jesus' birth, and, and how the, the star of Bethlehem you know, was followed by night. And how, how they, the Magi followed this, and the... And the shepherds, you know, saw it and, and all of this. And th- those, those were things in a constellation. They didn't get a telegram. Now, the shepherds, they were met by an angel, right? Okay, but there were signs in the skies that they could read to know his birth. That's how Herod knew it was about the time frame. So I was taken to this passage. I want you to turn there. It's going to be a strange passage when thinking about the time of Jesus' birth because it's not in the Gospels. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. This is part of John's vision when John was taken up into the heavens and, and, and I want to point out something here, because a lot of the people that I read get it wrong for this one fact, and they said that this was John's vision of a birth. It wasn't. It's not what it says. It doesn't say John had a vision of this. What does it say? Verse 1, and a great sign appeared in heaven. 
Okay, a great sign appeared in heaven. There was something that appeared in heaven that could be seen, could be understood. That's what John is describing here. He's describing a sign in heaven. Knowing how they saw the heavens back then, they read the heavens as signs. They knew when they were to plant crops, when they were to harvest. They knew what day of the year it was. The, you know, the, the calendar was based on that. By the way, we have calendars that are based on two types of things. We have lunar calendars and sun calendars, right? A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Period. That was a constellation. That was a sign in heaven. What are the signs in heaven? They're the groupings as it was understood by the Hebrews of that day. Remember the... John, the writer of Revelation, he is writing this historically of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. He wrote the book of Revelation somewhere around 95, I want to say 94 or 95 A.D., some 60 years after Jesus died on the cross, even after the temple was torn down and everything else. So he's talking in the language that they would have understood. A sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. There is only one that that could be in the Metzeroth. There is only one. And that would be Virgo. Okay? Virgo is a constellation. It's the second largest constellation in all the constellations. Virgo is a Greek word. It means virgin. Kind of fits, right? And, and you look at this and you say, okay, well, you know, that fits. The Virgo, you know, in, that, that would be the woman. Okay, it makes sense that there's a crown of 12 stars on her head because that, maybe that has to do with Israel because when you read on further, you know it is Jesus Christ who is being talked about in terms of the birth. It's not anybody else. It's Jesus Christ. Because it says that he would go on to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Which it says it further in Revelation. Revelation 20, I believe. But it also says that in Isaiah. But there were some unique aspects to this. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Let's keep reading and we'll go back to that. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. I think it's pretty easy to understand who the dragon symbolizes, right? We know it's Satan. That's pretty easy to see. She gave birth to a male child, 
one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. First of all, if you pull all of that information, you know that this constellation, this woman, Virgo, represents Israel. Because out of Israel comes the Messiah. Out of Israel comes, it says in Isaiah, the king who would rule with a rod of iron. Who would rule his people and love his people. So let's go back. So you have, now actually before I do this, I want, I want to take you another place. Because in the Gospels, in the Word of God, there is an understanding of information. Okay, um, Romans 12 talks about it, where, where those who have never heard about Jesus Christ, you know, how are they to be saved if they haven't heard about Jesus Christ? And he said, he said they are still held accountable because they see the creation of his hands. Right? They are to believe in a creator. Right? And I, I, I won't dovetail into that. You can read Romans 12 to understand that. But, but the, the, those who wrote the Gospels and Paul specifically believed that the information was out there for all to see. That the information of salvation was out there for all to see. In fact, let's, let's turn there. Romans 10. Look this up ahead of time. Uh, Romans 10, verse 18, says this. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Okay, Paul connected hearing about Jesus because that's what he's talking about in the previous verses, right? It's the good news of the word of Christ. So he says, all have heard this. Paul is proclaiming, all have heard. How in the world can all hear? But yet Paul said that the voice of the heavens have gone out to everyone. That's what it says here. Their voice, whose voice? The voice of the heavens have gone out to all the world, all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The point is, and it's backed up by Romans 12, is that if you have never heard anything at all in your life, you are without excuse. Because you can see the creation. You can see what God has done. You can see what God has built. You can see the stars. You can see the placement and how they work. Like, we're not, we're not all just sitting in one spot. If you know anything about astronomy, you know that, that every planet, every star, every galaxy operates in a rotation around its sun. Right? And then the different galaxies are different. Right? They each have their own light source. Our galaxy here 
it, it is all in this rotation, but it's specific. Did, you guys with me on that? I, I see some people like, what? You, you know we spin as an earth, right? You know we move, or it, it looks like the stars move. The reality is they all do. Everything is in this spinning way, but it's in a very specific course. God put all this together. How in the world? How in the world could he, I mean, obviously, because he's God. How he could decide to put all this in motion to paint a picture, to literally show his plan. So the heavens declare and speak God's plan. And I'll point out one other thing. You could turn there, Psalm 19. And sorry if some of this is kind of boring. But the biggest reason for it is to show just how you can integrate with the Lord and learn from His Word. What did I say? Psalm 19. Yeah. Come on. I need a maybe a set of fingers up here that don't. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of the God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The day, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the, the earth. That's, this is the, the passage that Paul was referring to, was, was quoting. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. In other words, God set the course for all of these things to happen. Right? So, so that is how they understood. They didn't have TV. They didn't have an app that they could pull up on their phone. What's God saying here? They had the stars. They were uniquely understanding of the galaxies and the stars different than what we know today. Honestly, different than what we've known for centuries. That, that has been one of the downfalls of technology. Because now we rely on technology and what it tells us versus how God set it up in the beginning. I think if we understood that, we would probably understand so much more of the Word of God. But let's, let's move on. So going back to Revelation 12, 1 through 7. The first sign that appeared was a woman. And, and the woman we laid out is Virgo, in my explanation anyways. Clothed with the sun. There are aspects of her that need to be understood. She's clothed with the sun. Remember, all the stars move like this, right? And, and the, the planets. So they move in what can seem like a chaotic situation, but it is always the same. They're each on a path, which is what we read out of the Psalms. She's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head, and, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. 
So the woman being Virgo is the second largest constellation. This is, a, and I'm just going to read some of my notes here. This is a picture of Israel and also a picture of Mary, if you will. But specifically, it is about Israel producing a Messiah, or God producing a Messiah through Israel. She is an astronomical heavenly sign, the constellation Virgo. Clothed with the sun is astronomical language of the sun being in the midst of the constellation. Now, this is where I get lost on this stuff. So, (laughs) just maybe you guys know more than me. I look at some of these constellations. Like, if you look at the constellation Virgo, and they got this picture of a woman, and it's a few dots. And I'm like, how in the world do you get a woman out of that? You know, I would need about a hundred more dots. To really get a woman out of that. So I don't have an answer for you. All I can tell you is the Metzeroth was way, way thousands of years ago that, that perhaps, I don't know if the Lord came up with it, I, whatever. I don't even know. I just know that somehow Virgo was named this certain set of stars and planets. Okay? So her being clothed with the sun, there is a point of her that is the head. There is a point that is the feet. If you want to go Google it, it gives this picture of a woman. Clothed would mean that the sun is on her. The sun is shining in her within, basically from the neck to the feet, where the clothes would be. So somewhere within there, that only happens once a year. It does happen every year because it's cyclical, right? But it only happens once a year, and it happens to be within a 20-day period, most of which is in September, as we know the calendar. So now the first clue is that it narrows it down to a 20-day period. Then the next one is the moon under her feet. Each year there is a time when the moon that is under the feet of Virgo, but only a precise time each year that it is coupled with being clothed with the sun. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here you have this Virgo. Okay, you have the sun shining in the middle of her. But there are other times where the moon is at her feet. Different times in the constellation. But there is... A precise time in the year, it happens every year, but there is a precise time in the rotation of the year where you have the clothed, her being clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet at the same time. And that happens to be a 90 minute period. It, it's not, it's not a big period. It happens every year. Go Google it. it happens every year. It's a 90 day period. Okay, within those 20 days. Now, what did I say? Oh, I said 90, yeah, 90 minutes, sorry. Yeah, that would make it bigger, wouldn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, well, I could, I, at least I didn't say 90 seconds. That would have been real precise. But Yes, 90 minutes, Thank you. Then the other sign, as I said before, was Jesus who was birthed, right? And there's evidence of that because he is who will rule with a rod of iron. And he is 
who was swept up and taken to God's throne. But then there's another sign. Okay? Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. So there's a second sign. Now, when I started to research this one, this one was a little more confusing to me. Because there are actually two constellations that are dragons. There's Draco, which, by the way, I didn't know any of this until I studied it. So I, I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm merely, merely a purveyor of information. Okay? But there was Draco, who is a dragon. Draco means dragon, and I, I think it's Latin. But then you have another dragon constellation, which actually is much bigger, and that's Hydra. Hydra is the largest constellation of all of them. And both of those, the, the first one was easy to eliminate because it never intersects. It never intersects with, uh, uh, with Virgo. It is actually on the, the uh, I believe it's the northern hemisphere. It, it is considered a northern constellation. It's nowhere near the southern constellations. It's up near the North Pole. And then Hydra, it's got a lot of possibilities because there are 17 stars. You know, it's the 7 plus 10. All that makes sense and everything else. But in that one, there were even a few issues that I couldn't. And part of the issue was I just couldn't understand it. It was like, you know, you ever, you ever sit with somebody who really knows this stuff and you like zone out after about 30 seconds? <laughs> That's how I was reading it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. But then I, I started reading further, and there was a guy back in the, I want to say it was the 12th century or 11th century, that came up with this, this obscure thing that I had no idea that the constellations actually changed about 25 to 30 years before Jesus' birth, one of them specifically. And that was the constellation Scorpio. Scorpio used to be enormous. It used to include at least one other constellation. I can't even remember. It might have said two other constellations. But it included this part with Hydra. And then when that was included, it was changed right before Jesus' birth. Rome changed it. And, and if you look at it before that, which is what they would have known at the time, then all of those things fit in perfectly. So, so you have basically in all of these signs, in the two signs, you have it narrowed down to a 90-minute period. Okay? I said minute, right? Yeah, 90-minute period, but you have because that happens every year, you just don't know the year. And to figure that out, then you have to go to the Gospels. And that's where the greatest sign that everybody talks about comes into play, and that is the Star of Bethlehem, right? Everybody talks about that, Luke 2 and the birth, and they followed the star and, and all of this stuff. And what does that really mean? I mean, it's... To be honest, it's conjecture, and I, I want to make that clear. This is conjecture because I'll go back to the first thing I said. I don't think it matters 
when he was born. I don't think it matters the day that he was born. We're to celebrate every day. But in terms of understanding this, John put this in here for a reason. He put the signs in here for a reason. Is it because we are to understand? Is it because we're to dive in and to peel apart pieces of what his word is saying? Yes, I believe so. So you have another constellation. And I'm going to explain this as best I can. Please forgive me if I, if I mess it up. I am not an astronomer. Or certainly not an astrologist. <laughs> okay, but you have the constellation Virgo. Right above the constellation Virgo, you have another constellation called Leo. Okay? Leo has nine stars. Or at the time that they understood this, nine stars. Now, I, I think with the telescopes and everything we have now, I think they're up to like 24, 25, or 26 stars now. Okay, but they can't be seen. What was seen back then was nine stars. Okay? And Leo was considered the king, in the king constellation. It was the king producer, if you will. And... Part of that made sense to me because, you know, it says in Revelation 4 that Jesus came as a lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Okay. The interesting thing, though, is it says here in Revelation 12 that there were 12 stars, not nine. And in the constellation above Virgo, there are nine. However, there is a different time of the year when there are three added because they're specific planets. And so maybe that's what gives you the 12, right? Thought that was kind of interesting. So as I said, Leo was a, considered a royal constellation. The largest star in Leo, it's considered the king star or the king maker, okay, is called Regulus. I remember when I first read that, I thought Romulus, and I thought, I knew Star Trek was for real. <laughs> I knew it. Star Trek is way better than Star Wars. And I, I, I know people fight me on that, but th I thought, there is biblical proof. And then I reread it and said Regulus, so that just blew my whole theory. So that didn't work, yeah. No, but the, the, the largest star, the brightest star that is called the king star, the kingmaker, was Regulus. Okay? Then you have another piece. You have this, this, this star, this star of Bethlehem, this, this star that, the, that they followed, the Magi followed, which has always been regularly considered Jupiter. Okay? Because it's the brightest star, it's the largest planet. In fact, it's called the king planet. Kind of interesting. But the reason why it is believed that Jupiter is the star that was followed is because it is the only planet that has erratic movement. It actually moves back and forth, or seems to, I guess, in, in, in its regular movement. It'll move back and forth. Its entire course goes either toward Regulus or away from Regulus, okay? It's going toward Theo 
or then away from Theo. And it was interesting to, to read in this that that is one of the stars back then when they would follow the stars. That's the star that they would follow to know where they were in their journey. Because, again, it was the brightest star, the easiest to follow. And, and remember back then, the, these were all charted literally over thousands of years. Their, their movement. I mean, they, they, know, they knew more about the constellations back then than we know now. I mean, by far. And it, it's sad to me that that was lost. So this star, then, then I, took, I took this star and, and I started checking into its course of movement. And its course of movement that I found intersects with Virgo and all those things. It intersects about once every 240 years. I thought, okay, now we're narrowing it down a little bit. You, you have the other constellations that bring it down to a 90-minute period within the year that happens every year. Okay, but now you have another sign that is intersected with it that happens once every 240 years. Now you can look back in astronomical history and see when that happened. And there's only one date. There's only one date during, because we know roughly when Jesus was born. And he wasn't born in, you know, 1946. We know roughly when he was born. And it only intersected one time in that time frame. And that date was in the Gregorian calendar, what we have now. It is September 11th, 3 B.C. September 11th, 3 B.C., which when I read that, it may not jump out at you. It jumped out at me because I thought, oh, wait a second, wait a second, if... if so, so you got September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Three and a half years of his ministry. Thirty-three and a half years old. And, and it just, just jumped out at me, big time. So then I, I came across one other thing. Because there are other ancillary evidences that started to pop up about this. And the other ancillary evidences were, on that day in 3 B.C., I give you one guess as to what day you think that is in Jewish history. Do you know? Huh? <laughs> day of the Jewish New Year is what? Tishri 1. Right? Okay. <laughs> I thought you knew that. That date was the first day of the new year for that year, for that 3 BC. The first day, it's Tishri 1. That, that, is, that is on their, their calendar. Okay, now, now you've got you to understand that, that the Jewish people, they have two different calendars. They have a secular calendar and a religious calendar, okay? And, and I want to say it's their, their secular calendar, I believe, is what they go by. 
because Tishri is actually the seventh month. I think it's seventh, seventh or eighth. It's, it's effectively near September. Okay, when we go and, oh, it's the Jewish New Year. Remember, it was only a couple of months ago we celebrated that because of the significance of what that means. The first day, which is Tishri 1, is always celebrated as new creation. They blow a trumpet. And it's celebrated as a conquering. What is coming is to conquer. Okay, so, so again, the fact that, that it went to September 11, 3 B.C., and that happened to be the very first day, Tishri 1, that was just ancillary evidence, again. But I want to read to you one other piece that I, that I found, which, which was kind of cool, and I, and I got these from a bunch of different sources, but this one in particular I'm going to read just straight out of it. Because this was another piece of ancillary evidence that I almost thought was more compelling than all the stuff out of Revelation 12. The book of Luke tells us that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. In fact, let's, let's look at that. Uh, Luke 1 Starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, remember, you guys remember this story, right? John the Baptist was born first, and then Jesus, who was his, John the Baptist was his cousin. He was born later, right? Six months later. But it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she is greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Then if you go down, uh, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Okay, so there's two passages that say that, that, uh, that Jesus was six months after John the Baptist, his cousin. So keep that in your mind as we're reading this. So again, the book also tells us when John was conceived, so it is possible to approximate the time of Jesus' birth on, on that of Jesus. John's father, Zechariah, served as a priest in the division of Abijah. We get that out of Luke chapter 1, verse 5. His priestly duty entailed one week of temple service every year plus three more weeks during the three yearly festivals. His division was the eighth 
So his period of temple service began in the eighth week of the year. First Chronicles chapter 24, verse 10. The Hebrew year, being lunar, began in the spring around late March and early April. The eighth week would then generally fall around the first of June, the way we show the months of the year on our calendar. Luke chapter 1, verse 23 and 24 tell us that Elizabeth, John's mother, became pregnant right after Zechariah's service in the temple. This would have been mid-June approximately. This means that John the Baptist would have been born around mid-March or close to the Passover. Jesus would have been conceived in John's sixth gestational month by the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke 1.26, which we read which would have been December. So Jesus would have been born around the middle of September. This event would have probably taken about the time of the last Hebrew holiday or Sukkoth, the Feast of Tabernacles, since everyone was expected to travel to Jerusalem for the three annual feasts. This is probably the real reason why there was no room in the inn. Now that was completely separate from the information that I had pulled up before. And, and when, when I saw that, it, it, just, it just hit me. So I, I say those things simply because I told you at the party I would tell you what, what I had researched, what I had seen. But there's a more important reason for it. It's about digging in the Word. It's about understanding His voice. It's about the fact that you don't have to be, have some degree to know what his word says. I don't have a degree. In fact, I started Bible college and I think I I left after five months because it was like, seriously? You know, what, what they were trying to teach me was it was incorrect when you want to know what the lord is saying you seek him and you'll find him you open your word the word of god and you ask lord help me to understand when you turn to a passage when you're in your devotion time before the lord don't just oh yeah he'll give me something if he wants to don't say that. First of all, that's not seeking anything. He already said he wants to. <laughs> what he wants is for you to engage with him. What he wants is for you to open his word and, and just start absorbing, just start understanding. When, when you come across something that doesn't make sense, or even better, when you come across something that actually seems to be opposite of what somewhere else says in the Bible then dig into it because you're going to find a gem. You're going to find a precious truth. I think he puts those things in there so we will dig. I mean, even even in the course of what I did in this, it was such a joy because I'm, yes, I'm learning these things and, and now maybe I have a belief of when when he was born. The effect of it honestly doesn't matter. I'm not going to celebrate it on September 11th because I'm supposed to celebrate it every day. 
But the truth is, what I learned from this was the intricacy of what God set up before man ever fell in the stars. He didn't just, you know, after Adam fell, he did, oh man, let's rearrange these stars so we could tell how this story needs to go. God knew that ahead of time. The stars were formed before man was ever formed. God knew what was going to happen. I really would love to talk to whoever decided that these stars looked like certain things, though. Because that, that one, I've got to tell you, makes no sense to me. When I look at Leo, I don't see a lion. I see some dots. Right? When I look at Virgo, I don't see a woman. I see more dots. It just, when I look up there, it just looks like a lot of dots. I, I'm really not sure how to put all that together. But when you dive into it and you understand that God planned that from the beginning, God literally taught Adam how to teach redemption through the stars. How do you think that Abel knew to offer a lamb? When, when Cain, Cain offered his vegetables. I mean, if you take today's science, you would say that'd be way more better for you than the lamb. Right? I mean, everybody's supposed to eat their vegetables, so why, why wasn't Cain, you know, hey, God, here's vegetables. That's my argument against vegetables, actually. I'll leave that alone for now. I, I do think there's a religious, godly precedent that allows me to eat meat and not my vegetables. Just kidding. But the truth is, God had already set it up. He had already set it up. He had already shown them how to tell the story because he knew that the story would have to be told. He knew it would have to be told because God knows the end from the beginning. So press into him. If, if there is any point from this morning at all, it is that God wants to be intimate with each and every one of you. Not, not just, hey God, I love you, you know, talk to me if you want to talk to me. And, and he's saying, I've already talked to you. If, if you don't search this out, why in the world would you expect me to give it to you differently? It's not one or the other. He wants both. He wants you to know his word. You can know his word. Every time you open his word, you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, who is the interpreter of Scripture, the interpreter, Paul says, of his voice. You ask the Holy Spirit to, to literally download it to you, help you to understand. When I, when I finally figured that out, and this 10 years ago or so, when I finally figured that out, I'd, I'd hold my Bible, and back then it was a paper Bible, but, okay, Lord, you said if I seek you, I'll find you. You said that you would reveal through the power of your Holy Spirit the hidden meanings. So, God, I need you to reveal to me what you want right here. And I'd open it up and I'd start reading. And now all of a sudden, things would connect in ways they didn't connect before. 
Because sometimes the disconnect in our lives are from predetermined paradigms that we can't get past. Because, well, that's just what I always thought. That's what I always believed. And so that's like a constant. We'll leave that as a constant. We, we circle everything else around it. Well, guess what? What if that constant is incorrect? For me, that constant was God doesn't talk anymore. He talks through his word, but that constant was he doesn't talk through prophets. He doesn't talk even individually. That was my constant. When the Lord finally showed me how absurd that was, it began to break apart. Now all, all of the things that were associated around that constant, now that I understood that constant for what it was, made sense. It made more sense. Relationship made sense. This, this plight on earth makes sense. Man, if that isn't the biggest thing that people cry out, why am I here? Why? It's because God is giving you an opportunity to know the creator of the universe in faith. That is the most precious gift you could ever get. And he doesn't just give it to you on December 25th. He gives it to you every day of your life. That opportunity to know him. If you seek him, you'll find him. So if nothing else, exercises like this break apart his word to a higher level of understanding him and letting him connect with us in a different way. Lex, come on up. I just want to say something that um, was just on my heart this whole time because this, this kind of a message is is both exciting, but yet it, it, um, it rouses a lot of interesting things in the bride. And, uh, you know, God allows us to go on this journey of discovery with him, Holy Spirit, through his, by his spirit in his word. And um, there's a lot of um, arguments that arise when people begin to be nervous about things that God shows them in the word and that it's different than something they've ever heard before. And so I was just thinking about all the things that this type of a thing brings out, this kind of um, what you would call controversial. And the Lord kept just showing me and, and just saying in my spirit that it's, it's closeness with me in a pure heart that will help you to know who I really am and what I'm really saying. And because if you are just clinging to information alone, and that is what you're standing on, rather than the person of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things that you can be afraid of when it comes to even statements of, of the stars talking to us. I mean, it's almost, there are, there's certain language that I notice in the bride that are, are, people are very resistant to because of what's happened in the New Age movement and the language that's been hijacked, essentially, by the enemy. And so there is, um, there is such a fear to, to really be a Berean, to really know that you want God with all your heart, 
that you want to seek truth, that you don't want anything that is not God, meaning you don't want deception. There is, a, there is almost a fear to, to walk in anything of, of the authentic because it, would, it might mean straying from something you've always known. And so because I don't know anything else, I'm going to just stick to what I've always heard. And those things might be correct, but they also might not be correct. So then how do you know? Um, I will say, you know, what does life look like when there's disagreement? He mentioned an author at the beginning. Is it Michael? What is it? What is it? Michael Heiser. I don't agree with everything that this man has written. Um, I don't see scripture in the same way. But he has amazing insights. And that's okay. That's okay. That's not, we're not saying that um, if there's an insight from a source that we're completely aligning with everything in that source. And so... That's what being a Berean is. Um, if my best friend is Georgia and I like this movie and this is something that means a lot to me and she's like, oh, my goodness, I've always hated that movie. I, I, don't, I don't like that at all. Where, where do we, you know, I mean, that's a silly example, but sometimes it's like sometimes those things, especially in today's culture of just division, means that, well, I don't know how to even be friends with you because, I mean, like, this is, this is my movie, man. This is, this is like... This is awesome. This is nostalgia for me, and, and, and it's something that you don't, you've always hated. You know, there are things that are absolute unifiers, and that is wanting the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. There are false doctrines. There is deception. So how do you know, especially when there's deceptions with people holding up the same Bible? And it's in intimacy with Christ. There has been a, so much infiltration of the demonic in the church today. And it does leave people so confused that they're just driven right out of the church. But the sad thing is it's because all they're, all they're standing upon is doctrine itself, is the information, is what they can assimilate in the reading of the word through their own mind and their own intellect. Whereas when you know the Lord Jesus in your heart, that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus um, and and believe that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, the heart, this is Romans 1.16, the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Only God knows the heart, and he searches to and fro upon the whole earth to see whose heart is for him. And so all you can do is seek him with all your heart and pray as Greg did. Lord, please show me. Show me your word. Show me. And if your heart is pure for him, he's the one that will reveal, hey, you're holding on to past religious paradigms or, or you're, you're not willing to, to let go of this because it was what your grandmother told you when you were four years old and it was so impactful. See, God wants us to come to him with a total abandon that no matter what human being has said, you want him above all else. Will he lead us to truth Sometimes by his spirit through other people, of course he will. But he does want a pure heart that's for him. And I know sometimes there's such confusion in the church that it, it just causes division. But when the Lord talks about, in his word, about being a Berean, go before the Lord. Ask him yourself. And maybe some of this today was so, you can't even begin to understand it. That's okay. He will show you when it's time. He may have you focusing on something else in your life right now that he's trying to show you. Um, but you can glean uh, amazing insights when, when the Lord is speaking. And I find that so many people um, 
who have the most um, disagreement in the bride, it's because um, they have their perspective or they're preaching their perspective. And, um, and so it becomes kind of a what I think versus what somebody else thinks. And, you know, the Lord really will, um, he, he's an amazing unifier. His Holy Spirit will speak the same truth. So just hold on, hold on. And continue to seek him with all your heart. And he will show what is true. And I have seen with my own eyes in the years that we've been married that um, if Greg discovers something and then finds out, oh, man, yeah, I'm, I, was, I was off on that. He's the first one to be excited about it being corrected. Because it's not, he doesn't cling to the information. He clings to God Almighty, to Jesus, his best friend. And so if in his journey, and he said a couple weeks ago, and I I just think it's so true, be transparent in your walk. He'll always be transparent with where he is. And he's not afraid um, to have to stand in this pulpit and be perfect. And don't you either, in in your pulpit of your life, don't be afraid um, to learn something new, to unlearn something. Um, Let God be who you cling to. And I know I've used that example when it comes to um, the, the fear of being deceived, that when, the phone, when my phone rings and it says that it's my husband calling, I don't have to worry that I'm, could it be a hacker? Could it be him? I don't know. I mean, even when I'm talking to him, if it sounds like him, maybe it's not him. I'm, I mean, you know, may, if, he, if, he doesn't, if he says anything out of the ordinary, it might not be him. And, so, and you kind of live with this tension and this worry that unless you hear the exact same thing, then I'm quite sure it's not him. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I know my husband. I know him. And that's the way it ought to be with the Lord Jesus. I know him. And if he wants to say something that he's not said before, it will always be in agreement with his word. But if he wants to, it would be so arrogant for me to think I already kind of have the Bible wrapped up. Nothing new you can tell me here, God. I got it, man. I've memorized a lot of scripture and I just, I know that I know that I know. It's that he's showing you something that's there. Have you ever heard of this phrase, it was hiding in plain sight? You ever learned something? I mean, some of the verses I learned as a child, I'm like, wow, that is awesome. That is so deep. And I've known it my whole life. But I know that the, the enemy will say, yeah, but, but, but what if it's something new? What if it's, I mean, what about these churches that are beginning to deny the deity of Jesus and they're beginning to deny this and they're starting to have these new doctrines? Okay, look at the heart motivation. Look at, the, look at their, where they are. The Lord will reveal. And sometimes you can't see it on the surface right away. But the Lord will always reveal. The fruit of a life will always be seen. Yes, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of wokeness that's come into the church. But again, if people really, really want the Lord Jesus in his purest form, he will show himself to those who want him. And he will always show the truth. And that's what we rest on so that we don't have to be enemies in our discovery. If, and, and we've, you know, as, as now co-pastors, but even in ministry, we had, he had his ministry, I always had my ministry. We've been back and forth about a lot of things in this journey with things he saw in the word and I didn't quite see it or I would see something and he's like, oh, I don't know, I'm gonna, let me read that again. But the Holy Spirit, when there's... When there's a seeking truly of him and love is in the midst, um, it's actually been a blast 
to learn what God's shown him and for him to learn what God's shown me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That is what being a Berean is. Not just immediately going, oh, my word. Okay, you're for that book. You're for that author. Okay, uh, you know what? We need to, we need to leave this church. <laughs> you know, Sometimes there's that fear that comes in and it, it messes with you. So just seek the Lord with all your heart. What a, what a blessed time to be alive, an exciting time. This has been a different Christmas for me. I don't know about you guys. It's just different in a in a good way my expectancy of what's about to take place um in this world and the for the purposes that we are alive today is so high it is so high the atmosphere is so thick with activity and um and there's nothing there's nothing that we're supposed to cling to except him he is about to change everything everything how we've celebrated christmas even he will be preeminent. He will be. He is on the throne. He is our champion enthroned. And whatever it looks like, if he is our rock, if he is our focus and the rock upon which we stand, we will weather the storms coming. The storms are for our enemies, judgment and just, the justice and judgment of the holiness of God, and for our purification, for our refinement, to be people who will serve him and him alone in the way that he deserves and desires. So it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. Be, be so expectant. Um, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, for what you revealed today and aspects of your word, God, that, that just give us all things to think about. Thank you, God, that you, you so desire, God, for us to have the soil of our heart be cultivated and willing so that your seeds that are planted can go deep down. I know you say in your word, be careful how you hear. Because if we hear well, then more will be given to us. But if we don't hear well, if we hear through a lens of cynicism or doubt or just plain rejection of it, rather than really seeking you with an open heart, not, not open to deception, but open to just you showing us something, that we've not seen before, God, if we don't have that, then even what we have, you say in your word, will, will be taken from us because faith and a lack of faith and doubt actually begins to rob us of, of even what we do have. And we're seeing such evidence of that, evidence of that in the bride, God. I just pray that we would just have the faith to trust you for the things we do not understand. That is really faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. So, God, I just pray that you would help us to lean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean not on our own understanding as if we have our, some intellectual giants, but, God, to trust you with all of our heart. You will, if we acknowledge you in all of our ways, you will direct our path. You will not lead us into deception if we truly want you. If we just want to be right, then yes, there will be an open door. God, show us the motivation of our heart. Show us the motivation. If we, if we just love learning new things and we want to be the new thing learner, or if we love shock value or, or whatever fleshly motivations of the heart, God, search us. Try us, see if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, and lead us in the way everlasting. Because we desire you, God. And I know that 
in this building, Lord, I know I can safely speak for everyone here, God, that we desire you and we want to know you, God. We don't want to just be on some cutting edge of, of revelation. We, we want to be close to our Savior. And with that does come revelation because you reveal who you are, that we may know you. So I just praise you, God. I thank you for the glorious meaning of Christmas. You came and inserted yourself into creation to make a way to not only pay for our deliverance from sin, death, and hell, but to give us relationship with you. Thank you, God. I just love you, worship you, and praise you. Encourage your people today and open the eyes of the bride, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.